Okay, good morning, Boker Tov. We have the privilege this week of studying Parshas Naso. Every Parsha is fantastic. This Parsha is really fantastic. There's a lot of great stuff. So we'll do our quick overview of the Parsha, and then we'll delve into the uh, specific text, the Pesukim that we're going to analyze together. So our Parsha continues with, uh, so to say, the end of the counting. It's the uh, responsibilities, Moshe Leib was just alluding to, of uh, Gershon's responsibilities. Naso it's Rosh B'nei Gershon Gamheim and uh, continues in terms of uh, the obligation. Then uh, Merari after uh, Gershom and the totals. Fine. Parakei begins the Yishachum and Amachana called the purification of the camp. The obligation now that we've established a sacred space, now that we've established the Mishkan, which is a place of Hashra Sashchina, a place for Hashem to dwell, the, uh, the uh, rules and regulations in order to have, how to make sure that it's not contaminated. Who can be there and who cannot be there, who is uh, welcome and who is excluded until they become purified. Then we have the laws of the uh, stealing from uh, someone. We don't know who to whom to return it because they themselves are a convert, they don't have family. And then we have the famous laws of the Sota. If a woman uh, goes astray, and the Pesukim describe exactly what is the sequence, what happens. The woman is, um, she's acting in a suspicious manner. She's suspected by her husband. Her husband, so to say, warns her, don't behave in this way. I'm, I'm uh, fearful that you're unfaithful. You're damaging our relationship. And she nevertheless secludes herself in front of witnesses with Adim. She violates Kin of Astira. She secludes herself with another man whom she's not allowed to have Yichud with. So then, the Torah tells us the process. At that point, we don't actually have witnesses to her infidelity, but simply the suspicious behavior is enough to raise the question against her. And the Torah here tells us in Perakei, and Parshas not so exactly what we do. You bring her to the Kohen, and she the Korbanos, and she shaves her head, and she has to drink the Ma'imarim, the special water, which the name of God is erased, which the Gemara tells us God is willing to allow. We never erase God's name, but God, we're willing to erase God's name. God is willing to allow His own name to be erased. He's willing to allow Himself, His honor, to be challenged in order to preserve Shalom Bayes. So great is Shalom Bayes to the Almighty, so great is peace in the home that He's willing to allow His name to be erased. What's unusual about this section of Sota, it's not what we're spending our time on. Psukim, I think we've done it in the past. The Psukim are, uh, are very uh, fascinating and the process is fascinating. But what's interesting is the, the default, the premise. Is this woman considered guilty until innocent or innocent until guilty? Innocent until Not when you read the Psukim. When you read the Pesukim, it sounds like she's guilty until innocent. She secludes herself. Her husband says, look, I told you, don't do that. Proper women, modest women, modest men for that matter, modest people don't seclude themselves with those of the opposite, of those of the opposite sex. I think I said this in the past. I, there was an interview with, I forgot which, um, which major pastor, one of these major mega pastors who's been on TV for 40 years and... Uh, has an illustrious uh, following in history, and was asked how he was able to achieve so much and never had a downfall. And he said that in Judaism there is a law called Yichud, Yichud, in which a married man, or uh, not married, in which a man is not allowed to be with a woman, a woman is not allowed to be alone with a man whom she's not related to, and so on. He said, I always observe that law. And that's how I've been able to maintain my ministry. That's how I've been able to not be. This law is, is, makes a lot of sense. This temptation is among the greatest. 
and I don't have to enumerate the many great men and women we've seen fall in our own time mm. because they've not been able to overcome their temptation in this area. So the man says to his wife, don't seclude yourself, and she secludes herself anyway. So on and so forth. The Torah then seems to kick into high gear with the presumption of guilt. You take her to the Kohen, you shave her head, you... you um, by the way, this is the Torah origin of the obligation of a woman to cover her hair because we say you acted in a manner unbefitting a married woman, Cohen uncovers her hair. You're, 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 you violated your marriage. You violated your, your vows. So her hair is uncovered. And this is the source. But we treat her in such a way that seems to presume her guilt, not her innocence. Ask Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky and his Emes what happened to innocent till proven guilty? Is that not a Jewish concept? She's guilty of secluding herself. But the consequences she suffers are those that seem to parallel much more than just secluding herself. In other words, we're treating her as if she's guilty in the infidelity, not just guilty in the seclusion. Seclusion should come with a slap on the wrist. Not the being dragged to the Kohen and the Beis HaMikdash and drinking the Mayim Ha'arim and so on and so forth. They don't want you to be tempted. Oh. So I'll tell you, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, again, I don't want to spend too much time on this, and his Emesli Yaakov has a magnificent shot. He says, no, no, she is innocent until proven guilty. Why does the Torah tell us this? Because you have to understand what's at stake here. What's at stake here is something called trust. The husband has lost the trust for his wife. To regain trust doesn't just mean to erase the suspicion. To regain trust, you have to go above and beyond. It takes a miracle. She drinks the Mayim Ma'ararim, and the Mayim Ma'ararim have a miraculous nature to them. If she's guilty, she explodes. Her stomach swells and she literally explodes. She dies a heinous graphic death. If she's innocent, then she conceives. By the way, it's always an interesting question. What if she didn't want to have any more children? <laughs> what if she was done? Okay, so she conceives. Fine. So bracha, she has children. And the Mepharshim actually discussed that question. But, so it's, it, the, the water has this miraculous nature. Says Rav Yaakov, why do you go so far? No, she is innocent till proven guilty. The reason we go so far is that's what it takes to reinstate trust. When trust is lost, that's what it takes to reinstate trust. Trust is an incredibly hard thing to, to reinstate. When I deal with couples, and, and I always, of course, refer to a competent counselor, but I nevertheless find myself often involved with trying to give chizuk and support and some spiritual guidance to couples who are in crisis. And I always describe trust as a bank account. And you need to spend a lot of time making deposits in that bank account. And once in a while, there is a major withdrawal which is made. By the way, not only acts of infidelity, it could be a person made a big purchase without the permission or without the knowledge of the other and depleted a bank account, a person gambled away money, a person made a decision, a person hid something that they knew. There's all kinds of ways to make, to make um, um, withdrawals from the bank account of trust, but the way to make up for it is to make deposits. You've got to make sure you're in the black, not the red. You've got to make sure you spend a lot of time in a whole relationship making deposits that if or when that withdrawal ever happens, intentionally or unintentionally, that one does not go into overdraft. It's when the relationship, the trusted bank account in relationships goes into overdraft, that's when you have a breakdown. That's when you have a crisis. So over here says Rav Yaakov, it's not that she's guilty till innocent, she's innocent till guilty. Why do we go to such extremes? Because in order to reinstate, reinstall trust, one has to go to such a dream to the extent of 
a miracle. And God, in the context of that miracle, God is a willing and, al- and allows His own name to be erased. After, of course, the story of the Sota, we go into the story of the Nazir. Baruch Atah Adonai Yolena Malach HaOlam Sha'akol Niyabed Amen. One of the most amazing things I've ever read or heard of in my life. Yes. I can understand. If she drinks the water and she's guilty, what happens to her? But according to so one of her, the guy she's guilty with also has a problem. Yeah, yes, absolutely. That's amazing. Yes. How could that possibly? Yes. She's drinking the water, she has a problem. But he also has a problem. Correct, because he too was with a married woman. Right, God's involvement in this entire process. We've lost the merit of having the Sota, the Maimarim. I don't know if it would make things easier or harder today. I won't speculate, but we no longer have it. Yes. Was there ever a case where someone did die in this? Because wasn't wasn't her? Didn't she have an option to just say no? I don't want to. Be oh, correct. She could admit her guilt. Sure, it's when she maintains her innocence. So, did it ever happen that she exploded? She I don't remember. She had the out. She could admit her guilt and she could have the out. And the Asa Labal, Asa Labal, she's forbidden to both. Yeah, this is when she's insistent on her innocence. She shouldn't have made that mistake. But that is a relatively minor mistake. It's major in the trust. It's a major withdrawal from the bank account of trust. Correct. It's inappropriate. It's inappropriate. The whole thing is proved to be showgate. She happened to go into a room and a guy happened to walk in, you know. Yeah, okay. So then again, she can state her case and try to explain why this circumstances. But remember here, there are Adam, there are witnesses. That's part of the the process of kinna and stira is that she's warned. By the way, if he didn't warn her, why do you need to be warned? Yichud is a prohibition. The husband didn't make it up. It's not like he put it in place. But nevertheless, the Torah says he has to warn her. And uh, you know, suspect her, and then she nevertheless is not vigilant in avoiding that situation. She nevertheless finds herself secluded. So that's what it takes this miracle to get out of it. The next section is the story of the Nazir. Famous comment of Rashi Lama Nismacha Parshas Nazir, the Parsha Sota. Why are these two parshios adjacent one to the other? So the opening daf tells us it's to tell us an important lesson. If you see a sota bekukula, if you witness such immorality, such depravity, if you see such a behavior, immediately you should react and respond by aspiring for sanctity. Take a vow not to drink. The nazir, the Nazarite, is not allowed to drink. Doesn't drink wine products doesn't drink wine, and therefore avoids drunkenness, avoids inebriation. If you see a sota bekukula, you see what happens when you drink, when you party, when your guard is down, when you're uninhibited. So when you see what happens when you're uninhibited, your immediate reaction should be, I never want to become inebriated, I never want to be uninhibited. So I'll ask you a question. I think I've shared this in the past. It's one of my favorites. Every time. I don't understand. You see sota bekukula. You see this woman, what happened to her? She blew up, she exploded, she dies, a heinous death. She suffers, she's humiliated publicly. Her relationship is destroyed. You have to become a Nazir in order to be, in order to make sure that you don't follow in her footsteps? Is it not enough of a motivation that you saw what happened to her? Why do you have to do something else? You saw the consequences she suffered. That in itself should be an incentive not to follow in her footsteps. Why do you have to go to the extreme of becoming a Nazir? So many years ago, I saw the following, I, don't, I, I regret that I don't remember where, 
because I, I would like to be Omer B'Shem Omro. But I saw the following answer, which I think holds so true in our day. Why do you have to go to the opposite extreme? Because when you learn about somebody else's infidelity, when you learn that it, a person indeed gave in to the Yetzirah, it raises your level of your Yetzirah. Until then, that remained in the realm of impossibility. Eh, people have temptations, people have desires, but nobody would ever do that. That's crazy. Who would ever actually act on that? Who would actually go there? When you learn that there's somebody who did, somebody within your circle of friends, family, society, community, somebody that you know that did that, all of a sudden the Yetzirah becomes for you now, it's accessible, it's real. Oh, somebody I know did that. So therefore, it's not enough to just say, I see what happened to them. You need to do something in order to offset, in order to nullify, in order to correspond with the blemish on your soul from having seen it. With the knowledge that it's out there. With just the knowledge that it's out there. I remember hearing from a Rebbe of mine in Israel when he dealt with a Talmud, a student of his, the first student who ever came and said that he had been involved in such a similar situation. And the Rebbe said, of course, I understand that's my role, that's my job. I'm there to support, I'm there to guide, I'm there to help, I'm there to bring back. He said, but still, I felt forever different, forever tainted. I always thought that was out there. Other people did that. That somebody I knew could do it, now made it in the realm of possibility. It made it real. It made it possible. So something needs to be done to offset the fact that that's become within the realm of possibility. And I think in our day and age, when, um, you know, once upon a time, before TV and multimedia and before the internet, so when you lived in a somewhat guarded lifestyle, you didn't have exposure to everything out there and everyone out there and every realm of possibility out there. And today in our world of exposure and overexposure, we have access and we are exposed to every type of behavior, and so it all becomes real. Oh, there's people who do that. There's people who do that. There's people who do that. So, Roa Sota Bekokula, it's not enough to see the negative consequences. One needs to take a proactive step of self improvement, of being taking guard, of being vigilant, in order to make, make sure that the impact of being exposed to that is erased from our moral consciousness. And from our experience. So you become a Nazir. Is a Nazir a good thing? Is a Nazir a bad thing? We've discussed that at length. You can go on Yu Torah. We discussed that in a previous year. The different approaches among our Rishonim. One says, you see, you bring a Korban Chatas. So it must be something which is negative. One took a shortcut to holiness. Can you become holy by coming a Nazir? Do you become holy by being an ascetic? By taking a vow of abstinence? Absolutely. You can attain a level of holiness. But is it the route that God wants? Bless you. No. It's a shortcut. It's an inauthentic, it's a counterfeit experience of holiness. So you bring a carbon chatas. The other says, what are you talking about? The Nazir is called Kadosh. A Nazir is called holy. You see that it's genuine holiness. It is a form of real holiness. Not for everyone. One of the steps, Pilchas ben the Gemara tells us, which the whole Mesilas Susharim is based on, the Ramcha wrote his Mesilas Susharim based on the 12 steps of Pilchas ben and one of those steps is the Midah of Precious, the Midah of Abstinence of withdrawal. It's only when you have the capacity to live without that you're worthy of living with. Only when you can prove that you don't need something, now you can enjoy it. But if you can't live without it, then it owns you, you don't own it. So that midah of precious, the ability to take a vow of abstinence and say, I'm not, 
the Ravid, Tainus Ravid, the great Ravid, the adversary, so to say, the academic adversary of the Rambam, had a Tainus. What's the Tainus Ravid? He would never finish everything on his plate. He would leave over the last, last morsel of food. Why? Because it shows great self-restraint. It shows great discipline. The ability to say, I don't have to finish everything on the plate. Ah, what about Baltashkas? Baltashkas is when you waste. You're not wasting if you're using it for character growth, character improvement. So there's a level of, abst- of, of asceticism. Tainus arrive, finish it. Eat. If there's a Jewish mother near you, you know, she's not going to be very happy that you left over a little bit on the plate. But the Ravid said you leave over a little bit on the plate because that's how you become holy. Holiness is discipline. Holiness is self-regulation. Holiness is self-control. That is the story of the Nazir. Then we get into the priestly blessing. Birchas Kohanim, which is what we're going to study together today. Then you have what is the bulk of Parshas Naso, which is the um, repetition. The Parsha ends with the repetition of the offerings of the Nesim, the uh, offerings of the leaders of each tribe on the day that the tabernacle, the Mishkan, was sanctified, was dedicated. Some, uh, I once heard Rabbi Przansky describe Parshas Naso as a Parsha that only a Bar Mitzvah boy's mother could love. That's how he described it. First half of the Parsha is wonderful, but the second half of the Parsha is very redundant. It's difficult. So as you're listening to the redundancy of the second half of Parsha's Nazir, of the, of the 12 um, exact same sacrifices and offerings of the Nesim, he described it as a, bar, a Parsha, only a Bar Mitzvah by mother. Because it's, it's hard to sit in shul and pay attention when you're listening to the exact same section over and over and over again 12 times. Minot, Bar Mitzvah's mother could listen to her son laying all day long. He could read the same thing over and over and over and over again. Yeah, every, the Bar Mitzvah boy could read the dictionary and the mother would say, oh, it's fantastic, I could listen all day. Yeah, so the end of Parshas Nasa, Lahavdil is like listening to someone read the dictionary. So that's, that's what he meant by that. Okay, but let's get into our Pesukim. I want to study with you, Parsha the Birkas Kohanim. Parts of what we'll share... We've shared in other contexts, but it's very worthy of repeating. But I want to go through the Pesukim themselves and see what our Rishonim, see what our Mephoshim in the Mekros Gedolos have to say, have to say about it. Why is, first of all, the Birchas Kohanim, let's read. We're on Perak Vav Pasuk Chav Beis, Perak Vav Pasuk Chav Beis. It's found in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash, page 762. Page 762. It's worthwhile studying Birchas Kohanim. First of all, it's our Parsha, it's Torah. But it's worthwhile because it's the quintessential paradigmatic blessing of the Jewish people. This is the bracha we give our children on Friday night. This is the blessing the Kohanim give us in Israel or for the Sephardim every single day, for us in the Shalash Regalim. This is the blessing that many of the custom under a chuppah, you give the bride and groom. This is the blessing many of the custom at the bris of a newborn baby boy you give. This is the quintessential bracha. When we talk about a bracha, this is the, this is the bracha, the greatest bracha of our tradition. So it's worthwhile to understand exactly what it is that we're wishing for our children. Says the Torah, God spoke to Moshe saying, Speak to Aaron and his son saying, Thus shall you bless the Jewish people, Say to them, Amor lahem, Yivarecha Hashem v'Yishmarecha. God should bless you and safeguard you. Yair Hashem panavelecha v'Yichuneka. God should enlighten you v'Yichuneka. And uh, how does he translate this? We're going to see our pshat momentarily. But uh, and be gracious to you. Yisa Hashem panavelecha v'Yasem lecha shalom. And may God lift His eyes 
God lift His face, His countenance to you, and give you peace, and give you peace. And it concludes with Samu Yisrael Place my name on the children of Israel, and I shall bless them. That's it. Those are the psukim that we're going to study right now. These uh, four or five psukim. This is the Birchas Kohanim. So the first question is, what is it doing here? Why after Parshas Nazir? We spoke about why is Nazir after Sota, but why is Birchas Kohanim after Nazir? What? Well, it's the Torah. The Torah puts it here. Yeah, it's not. It's the Torah. Why does the Torah place it here? So the Kliyakar addresses this question. Says the Kliyakar, Pasuk Chav Gimel, Samach Abrachos Lenazirus Ki Ayayin Kovei Abracha LaAtzmo Avalo LaAcherim. You know why this comes after Nazirus? Because wine is self-indulgent. When you drink wine, it benefits you, but nobody else. Now, if you share your wine, that's different. <laughs> but if you crack open a bottle of wine and you drink wine for yourself, Kovei Abracha LaAtzmo Avalo LaAcherim. If you look historically throughout Tanakh, you'll see, you know, for us, wine is a prominent place. For us, wine, we make a bracha, it's the way that we give significance to an event. Every Jewish event, every Jewish ritual begins with a boripriagafen. But if you look through Tanakh, you'll see that wine is not so prestigious. It's the opposite. Wine is the catalyst for a lot of downfall, for a lot of tra- suffering, for a lot of tragedy. For example, according to one opinion of the Gemara Sanhedrin Dafayin, what was the Etadas, the tree of knowledge that Adam and Chava indulged in, was Geffen. One thing we know it wasn't was an apple. With all due respect to middle um, what am I looking for? Middle-aged Christian art, it was not an apple. That's one thing we know. What was it? It might have been an esrog, it might have been a fig, it might have been wheat, and it might have been, it might have been uh, a geffen, it might have been a grape. So you see that grapes, wine, and the pursuit of wine might be responsible actually for the original sin. For it might have been responsible for the mistake of the Ganeidon, of Eitzadas, which led to our mortality, which led to the absorption of the Yitzhahara into our being. What Rav Torsky spoke about so beautifully this Bash Shabbos. The uh, four levels of the of the neshama, and uh, how how the yitzhara became internal, and it was going to a klal of adam and chava. We just saw their expulsion from the gan eden. It was going to a, to a curse for the descendants of Noah. What happens to Noah? Vayachel Noah. When Noah came out of the teva, it says Vayachel Noah. Noah became chulin. He went from being holy to being chol, mundane. He can't take it. The stress, the pressure, the burden of the continuity of the world on his shoulders. What's the first thing? He does when he gets off of the ark. Plants a vine. He needs a drink. <laughs> he needs a drink. That's a long cruise with a lot of animals. Bumpy ride. He needed a drink. And that didn't do very good things for him. What happened? Revealed his nakedness and his sons and the story. And Lot, what happens with Lot when he becomes drunk? Lot sleeps with his daughters. So you see that his wine bring blessing into the world? Wine brings, says the Kliakar. Wine, ultimately. Wine, according to the Kliyakar, brings klala, it brings curse into the world. Wine is a self-indulgent pursuit of a blessing for oneself. You're trying to escape, you pursue a blessing for yourself by indulging in, in wine. Umilas, so, so therefore he says, so why does the Birchas Konim come after the, the Nazir? To tell us that if you want real blessing, it's not about what you 
pursue for yourself, but the blessing you give others. The Kohanim give a blessing to others, that's real blessing. That's real blessing. Next says the Kliyakar something fantastic. Milas Ko, it says, Kosavarchu is B'nai Israel, thus shall you bless the Jewish people. What do you need? Savarchu, bless the Jewish people. What Ko? Amor Lahem, it seems so redundant. Kosavarchu, thus shall you bless. Amor Lahem, say this, and then it tells us what to say. If you're going to tell us what to say, why do you have to introduce it with, thus shall you bless? I know thus shall you bless. What's going on? What is Ko doing here? Says the Kliyakar, Milas Kokoya Parsha Shalamala, Lomar, Shakoina Mavarach Loya Shasoyain, Baamdo Lavarach has been a Israel, Kitzarach Lomar Brachos, Kamoshnamar Amor Lahem, Benikra Shikr, Kosha, any Yachal Dabal of Namelach, Akain, Trichan Leos Kinazirim. Kosavarchu, thus, he says, this, as if you were a Nazir, thus, according to the passage that immediately precedes this one, that is the state that you should be in when you give the bracha. Kosavarchu, like a Nazir you should give the bracha. Like a Nazir, sober, sober, clear of thought, clear to enunciate, capable, competent. That's how you should give the bracha. Kosavarchu, as B'nai Yisrael. So that's, the ko is going back according to the Kliyakar on the Parshas Nazir immediately proceeding to say, you shouldn't be drunk when you give a bracha. How could you be drunk? Be sober like a Nazir. Umilas ko, chosen ko abracha shiyudugmas birchas avram, shenes barach beko. Another hint to ko savarchu, a second interpretation of the Kliyakar is, that the word ko is reminiscent of Avram. It says with Avram, ko yezaracha. God tells Avram, Ko, thus shall be your offspring. The bracha God gave Avram was, Ko, your offspring will be Ko. So Bilam tried to offset that bracha. Bilam and Balak um, coordinated in order to offset the Ko of Avram. There's something inherent in this word ko, chaf hey. I spoke about this. Shul celebrated its 30th anniversary this year. Five years ago on our 25th anniversary. Ko is 25. I spoke about this notion of ko. That God said ko yezaracha. And this is this ko was therefore implanted within us as a blessing which follows us. When Bilam tried to nullify the blessing of ko, he recruits balach, balach, and you see within their curse is the word ko, trying to undo the blessing of ko. And you see this ko often. In a number of other places. Lech Teich Acharei Bamidbar. What does it say? Ko Amar Hashem. Peretz Lozeru. What is it? There's a Ko there also, right? Ko Amar Hashem. The Ko Amar Hashem. And there's one other place where you see the Ko. The Kliyaka goes on and he therefore shows the connection about the, the number, why is it Ko? What is the significance of the number 25? But you see it somewhere else also. Look in. Oh, the Balaturim. Rabbi Yaakov Balaturim. Kosavarchu, lahaskir schus, vani vanar necha ad ko. The Medrash and Barishas actually says, schus, in what merit did the Kohanim have the audacity to come give a blessing? And what do you mean in what merit? The Torah tells them they should give the blessing. But it means in what merit did God see fit that the Kohanim should give a blessing? By what merit did the Jewish people have to get a blessing? Who are we to stand and get a blessing? Answers the Medrash. You know what's chus? In the schus of v'hani v'hanar nilcha adko. 
Who said Vani Vana Nacharko? Avram Avinu with the Akeda. He's going to the Akeda and he leaves Eliezer Yishmael behind. And he says, I and the lad, Vani Vanar Yitzchak, Nilcha Adko. We will continue to go to Har HaMoriah. In the merit of Vani Vanar Nilcha Adko. I saw a beautiful interpretation. What, what's the connection? It's a cute play on words. Because Avram said, Vani Vanar Nilcha Adko. Therefore we merited Kosev Arkuz Bnei Yisrael. Just a cute play on words, the word Ko. It says no. You know what the ultimate blessing is? You know what the greatest conduit of blessing is for us? When multiple generations of Jews walk in the same path, when we go together, when our children embrace our values and our ways and our lifestyle, when we're successful in implanting our way of life into our children, into Jewish continuity, it's when we and our children walk together, it's in that merit that we get blessing. It's in the merit of successfully transmitting our lifestyle to the next generation. That is the merit that we get this bracha. So it says, I don't remember either. I apologize. The sages. So it says the Balaturim, so now this word ko, you see that it's not a coincidence. This ko comes up often. This word ko comes up a lot. The chafe osios bepasuk shma Yisrael says the Balaturim. Where else do you see it? Twenty-five words. In the uh, letters, rather, in the pasuk of Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, twenty-five letters. V'chafei pa'amim lashon bracha b'chumish, and we also find the language, the use of the word bracha, twenty-five times in the Torah. V'chafei pa'amim shalom b'chumish, twenty-five times the word shalom, which is the ultimate blessing of peace. The ultimate blessing is in the chumish. V'lachach mascha birchas konim b'bracha u'mesayim b'shalom. Kos of archu has been Israel. Which blessing should you give the Jewish people? Give them the blessing of. Ko. Ko, Savarchu has been Israel. Give the blessing of Ko to the Jewish people, says the Balaturim. Okay? So we saw in the Kliyakar what's the connection, the juxtaposition of the Birchas Kohanim to Parshas Nazir to tell us his first shot was Ko, Savarchu. Ko, be like a Nazir when you're giving the blessing. A Kohen is forbidden from reciting Birchas Kohanim when he's drunk. By the way, this explains a Minag. Kohen is not allowed to have ta- consumed alcohol before giving the Birchas Kohanim. Kosevarchu. It has to be like a Nazir, sober. What minute does that explain? What? Simchas Torah, excellent. We duchen in Shacharis in Simchas Torah. Why do we duchen in Shacharis? The truth is this is a minag. Well, I guess it's relevant here too, but it's a, it's a tragic minhag, need for this minhag. But the reason is because the assumption is the most shuls have Kiddush before Musaf. So by the time that the Kohen, by the time we recite Musaf, the Kohen has made Kiddush. He's had a bissel to drink. Depending on where he got his aliyah, he may have had a bissel, he might have had a lot to drink. So the Kohenim are disqualified from Birchas Kohenim. 
So therefore, we advance Birchas Kohanim on Simchas Torah morning to Shacharis. We do not recite Birchas Kohanim at Musaf because the assumption is they've had something to drink. Kosov or Chuz B'nai Yisrael, they have to be like a Nazir, perfectly sober when they give the Bracha. That was the first interpretation of the Kliyakar. Second interpretation is the Kosov Archu is the Ko Yezaracha, which the Balaturim expanded on. This notion of Ko, 25, is an auspicious number. Same letters in Shema, the time the use of the word Bracha and the use of the word Shalom throughout Chumash. Okay, let's continue. Let's look at Rashi. Rashi says, Amor Lahem. The Pasuk says, Thus shall you bless them. Amor Lahem. Say to them. Says Rashi, Amor Lahem. Kemo Zachor Shamor. What's Rashi talking about? Zachor, Shamor. In what way is Amor like Zachor and Shamor? Blaz Deshant, which must be French. Here in my Chumash it says, Zogend, Zog. Amor, say. What does it mean like Zachor Shamor? So look at the Sefzeh Chachamim. Shepirusha Lashon Hove. What Rashi was picking up on is Amor means in the present. Shekach perish gabe zachor t'nulev lizkor tamid mora al hasmadas hapoel. When the Torah captures something in the present, in the Lashon Hove, it means you should always have it on your mind. Always have it in your thoughts. Amor, Lashon Hove. Next Rashi. Amor lahem shiukulam shomim. Say to them so that everybody hears. So that everybody hears. Amor malei losavachem bechipazon ubebehalos ella bekavana uvalev shalem. Amor means say slowly. The kohanim shouldn't rush through birchas kohanim. Say it slowly. Say it carefully. Say it with intent. Say it with a full heart. You give a blessing to your children and you run through it. What impression do you leave on your children about how important they are to you? If the blessing matters, say it slowly and say it with intent. That is. Rashi says the Kliyakar you see from here another halacha Amor Lahem Nikan Lamdu Razal from here our rabbis learn the Kohanim Shachazan Makri the Kohanim Mila B'Mila Nusach HaBrachos the Kohen the Chazan rather recites word for word you see in the Pasuk it just says the Kohanim give the Bracha our practice is the Kohanim are prompted the Chazan says each word before the Kohen where do you see that from? Says the Kliyakar, our Pasuk, Amor Lahem. This is the biblical reference to the practice of the Chazan prompting the Kohen. The Taimo Shodavar, listen to this incredible Kliyakar. Taimo Shodavar, Shachazan, Wasir Surah Moshe, Shefat Sinur, Mimakar, Abrochos, Tchila, Umoriko Samarosh, Akorem Yachulu. Kiwomer Tchila, Lakohen, Yavarech Hashem, Kilas, Zakohen, Tchila, Kligodush, Umali, Birchas Hashem. Says the Kliyakar, listen, this incredible interpretation. You know what Amor Lahem means? The Chazan should say the word, word for word with the Kohen. Why does the Chazan have to do that? Are we worried that our Kohen are Amaratzim? They don't know Hebrew? They don't know the Siddur? They don't know the Bracha? Why does the Kohen prompt them? Why does the Chazan prompt them rather? Listen as Kliyakar says. He says, because who's going to bless the Kohen? How could the Kohen bless the people if they themselves are not blessed? From where is the Kohen, from where are the Kohen going to draw the strength? From where are the Kohen going to draw the blessing? Says the Kliyakar, Amor lahem. The Chazan first gives the blessing to the Kohen. Yivarechacha. Hashem. 
v'yishmerecha, then the coin becomes an overflowing kli of bracha, and that's the rest of the people are the recipients of the bracha which is overflowing to the coin. It takes a lot of uh, guts to say this pshat, because the chazan's the Yisrael. Who is he to give this blessing? Uh, the chazan is reading it from the sitter. So that's incredible. Amor lekotz of archuz b'nei Yisrael, amor lahem. Thus shall the Kohanim bless the people. Amor lahem. The chazan says to them, which empowers them to be in a position to then give the blessing. Incredible, right? Incredible kliyakar. Okay, he goes on, but we are going to, we're going to move on. What is the blessing? Right, so so far we've introduced the blessing. We explained why it came after Nazir. We spoke about it comes in the merit of Vaniva Nachad Ko when we walk together. We see that the Chazan has to prompt the Kohen. What's the blessing? <coughs> yes. Oh, great point. Right? When we say Birchas Torah in the morning, these are the Psukim that we read in order to give meaning to our Birchas Torah. This is, this is a very high level of Torah. So what are these brachos? Pasuk Chav Three words. Yivarechecha Hashem v'yishmerecha. God should bless you and safeguard you. What do we refer to this bracha as Birchas Kohanim in the Siddur? Barcheinu bebracha ha-meshuleshes. We refer to it as the threefold bracha. Asks Rav Willig, Rosh Hashiva Wa'yu, Rav in Riverdale, in his Sefer Am Mordechai, the Akdama to a Sefer Am Mordechai, asks Rabbi Willig, bracha meshuleshes. It's not a threefold bracha. How many brachas are here? Yivarechecha Hashem v'yishmerecha. Yo'eh Hashem panavelecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Hashem panavelecha v'yaseim lecha shalom. How many brachas? Six, not three. Why is it called the bracha meshuleshes? Why is it called the threefold bracha if it really is comprised of six? So I'll tell you what he answers as we go through these pesukim. Yivarechecha is sheizbarchu nechasecha. Excuse me. This is the blessing, thank you. The blessing of material success. Yivarechacha, the first blessing is, you should find material success, wealth. Put food on the table, a roof over your head, a car to drive, have a job, a parnasa. As the Sforno writes, look at the Sforno. Ba'oshu nechasim shemein kemachin Torah. What was bothering the Sforno? What's probably bothering me and you, which is, this is the f- most important thing. Shadavan for uh, Ruchnius, Davin for Gazunt, Davin for. Uh, you're davening for money? That's the first thing a Jew davens for? The first bracha the Jew looks for? Says the Sforno, yeah. Because guess what? In Kemach, ain't Torah. If you don't have money, if you don't have a livelihood, you can't learn Torah. In Kemach, ain't Torah, according to Mishnah Navos. That's Yivarechacha. What's Vishmarecha? Says Rashi, Says Rashi, is great. So you get the blessing of wealth. You know that winning the lottery is one of the worst curses you could get. Ninety-nine percent of lottery winners lose all of that money within five years. But not only that, we have people within the shul, two guys who work within um, companies that deal with payouts and representing lottery winners and so on. And they told me, because I was planning on winning the lottery, that um, you should never collect, never 
You know how they look for the lottery winner quickly? They want to put them on TV? Never collect the, lot, the winning ticket in your name. You need to create an LLC. And you need to collect the lottery ticket in another name. And you need to hide your identity as much as possible. Why? Because what happens when you win the lottery? Not just the Ayanara. Ayanara in actuality. You know what happens? There's an industry of thieves and scoundrels who find people who won the lottery. And then they, they have false lawsuits against them. They say, I tripped in your driveway and I broke my neck. What's going to happen if you just won $50 million? Your lawyer is going to say, settle with them, get rid of this. And you know what's going to happen if you win the lottery? You have to hire bodyguards because someone might kidnap your children or hold them ransom. If you win the lottery, you win half a billion dollars and the world finds out, your whole life changes. And it become a, can become a... Again, it's a, it's a curse I'm willing to risk. Um, but it can, become a, it can become a curse. So what has to happen... So don't 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 uh, collect it in your name. Create a L- limited liability corporation. Have it be an anonymous. Don't let it be in your name. He said, and go to Israel right away and leave and don't change your lifestyle and don't let anyone know and until you figure it all out. Until you figure it all out. So what does Rashi say? What? Right. People make terrible mix- mistakes. So what is Vishmarecha? Says Rashi. The end of Yivarecha Hashem is Vishmarecha. Hashem, give me the wealth. And protect me, protect that wealth. Don't make that wealth become a curse. How many families are destroyed over wealth? Because it totally distorts their entire relationships. So God, Yivarechacha, the Konim say, God, give wealth, Vishmarecha, but safeguard and protect that wealth. And you see, this is what Rabbi Willig answers, is it really is three blessings. It's three brachas, where in each bracha, the second half is a hope to safeguard the first half. So that's Vyashmarecha. In what merit do we say Yivarechacha? Look at the Balaturim. Bishchaz Avram. There's some people who mumble this as the actual Kohanim give their bracha. Or they, every day in davening. They say, Bishchaz Avram, Bishchaz Yitzchak, Bishchaz Yankiv. Says the Balaturim. Bishchaz Avram. Why Yivarecha is Bishchaz Avram? It says Hashem Be'erechaz Avram Bakol. God blessed Avram with everything, material success. So when we say Yivarecha Hashem, it's Bishchaz, it's Bishchaz Avram. Yivarech Hashem says about term is begematria benachasim of a guf, with wealth and health in gematria, the numerical value. That is all the first bracha. Yivarech Hashem, Yivarech Hashem is in gematria benachasim of a guf. The Ramban, by the way, says what Rabbi Willig said: Al derech emes ki a bracha melamala hashmir sitishmerosa ketam zachor v'shamor. The bracha comes from Hashem, and then the second half of the bracha is to protect and guard the first half of the bracha from making us corrupt. What's the second bracha? Hashem lecha May God enlighten you and vichuneka. What's vichuneka? Rashi says yiten lecha chain. May God give you chain. What does that mean? So what's yair Hashem lecha? What is light? Ora says the Gemara Megillah. Says the Gemara Megillah, Torah. Light is Torah. Torah enlightens. Torah illuminates. So what's the second bracha? If the first bracha corresponded with physical material success, the second bracha is for spiritual success. May God give us success in Torah learning, success in spiritual pursuits. But what happens, says Rabbi Willig? What happens when you become a Talmud Chacham? What happens when you're identified as an observant Jew? It's high risk, high reward. Gemara Yuma Pevav says that 
a person who learns Torah and then acts properly, everyone says, Ashrei Avav Shalom the Torah, Ashrei Rabba Shalom the Torah. Lucky, fortunate is their, are their parents, fortunate is his Rebbe who learned Torah. But a person who learns Torah and then misbehaves, cuts in line, doesn't say thank you, is dishonest in business, Oila Aviv Shalom the Torah, Oila Rabba Shalom the Torah, woe unto the parent, woe unto the Rebbe. It's a Chil Hashem. So you see that learning Torah positions you high risk, high reward. That's why the end of the second paracha is, says Rabbi Willig, Vichuneka. May you learn Torah, Ya'er Hashem, may you learn Torah, but Vichuneka, may it help you find chain in the eyes of others. May your Torah not distant you from others. May the Torah not be a weapon against others. May the Torah not make you become judgmental of others. May the Torah not make people say of you, ah, that framak, that Haredi, that right winger, that crazy fanatic. But may the Torah vichuneka. May through Torah, may you find chain. Can't translate chain. Iten chain. May you find chain in other people's eyes. Grace, charm, charisma, love. May people love you, the chain. Says the Balaturim, and whose merit is this bracha, the spiritual bracha of Ya'er? What happened is that the Akeda, Yitzchak, became blind. Then Akash Baruch gave him his life back. So Ya'er, to enlighten, to illuminate, is in the merit of, in the merit of Yitzchak. And this is what the Svarno says. Ya'er, First blessing is you should have a parnasa. Have a parnasa, make a living, and may the living be one that allows you the time and the freedom and the clarity of mind to see Hashem's wonders in the world, to learn His Torah, to grow spiritually, and to pursue spiritual growth in a way, which gives you chen. Lastly, the third bracha, Yisa Hashem panav elacha, v'yaseim lecha shalom. Rashi says, Yisa Hashem panav elacha, yichbosh ka'aso. May His anger be conquered. May God lift His face towards you, and may He give you the bracha of shalom. Says the Balaturim, whose merit is this third bracha? If the first was Avram, the second was Yitzchak, it doesn't take a super genius to guess. The third is Yaakov. Keneged Yaakov, t'chsiv v'yisa Yaakov raglav. This word Yisa, Yaakov lifted his leg. Yaakov lifted his legs and walked after he had the dream. God gave him the bracha of Shalom. That's the third bracha of Shalom. And therefore the third bracha corresponds with Yaakov Avinu. What's the third bracha? That God should turn towards us and give us Shalom. Says Rabbi Willig, how does this, the second half, safeguard the first? Says, you know... Sometimes people are materially successful. They're very wealthy. Some other people are very spiritually wealthy. But sometimes when you have both blessings, it creates a new conflict. You have spiritual wealth and material wealth. You become conflicted. Which to pursue, you become tempted, bribed, corrupted. It becomes very, very complicated. So you know what the third bracha is? Have peace of mind. Don't feel conflicted. Don't feel tempted but to be able to achieve a sense of a sense of shalom within it. Shalom is the greatest bracha that we have. There's no clean machzik bracha like shalom. Shalom is the greatest bracha that we have, and therefore it's the climax, the culmination of our brachas. This is what the Orachayim HaKadosh says. It says the Orachayim, Orachayim, 
If you make mistakes, let it not um, disconnect you from God. May God lift His face towards you. May you feel connected nonetheless. If you think about the term shalom, you'll realize shalom is the greatest blessing that we have. It's the end of all shas. The last line of shas is that Hashem shalom. May God bless us with peace, because peace is the greatest kli machzik bracha. Without peace, you can't have anything else. Without peace, you can't have anything else. This is the greatest peace. Now, it's interesting. How do you have peace? It says, Hashem oz le'amo yitain, Hashem yivarechis amava shalom. What's oz? This is my own editorial here. Oz is strength. Like Menachem Begin, you have peace through strength. You don't have peace through weakness. You have peace through strength. Peace is the greatest bracha, but you'll only have peace when you're strong in who you are and what you are. So Israel only reached the two peace treaties that it reached under a... a Strong government, let us call it. Uh, right-wing government. Hashem owes the Amoyutain. When you have strength, when you have uh, owes, then you can have then you can have a sense of, of shalom. It says the Balaturim, Shalom is Begamatria Asav. Why is Shalom Begamatria Asav? Have a Shalom Shalom Goy. Because a person should always take an interest. Be Maktim Shalom. You should always greet others before they greet you, even a non Jew. Even an Esav, be maktim shalom. You should always be the first to give shalom. Always be the first to greet another before they greet you, whether they're a Jew or not Jew, whether you know them or you don't know them as uh, as well. Okay, last pasuk. Place my name on the Jewish people and I will bless them. What does this mean? This is the conclusion of Birchas Kohanim. Vaniyavarchem, says Rashi, sorry, v'samuishmi, yivarchum b'shem ha'mefurosh. They should use my name, my explicit name, and then I will bless them. L'Yisrael. Who is the Vani Avarchem going on? I will bless them. Who is the them? It's a pronoun. Who is the them? Vani Avarchem. And I will bless them. Place my name on them, and I will bless them. Place my name rather on B'nai Yisrael, and I will bless them. Who is the them? Who are the possibilities? Could be the individuals. It could be B'nai Yisrael as a whole. What's the third possibility? Vani Avarchem. Could be the Kohanim. Right, we saw this already with the Kliyakar, who said that the Chazan has to give the bracha to the Kohanim before they can bless. So look at the Ibn Ezra. Says the Ibn Ezra of Avram Ibn Ezra. Who's the Vani Avarchem? And I will bless them. Says the Ibn Ezra, the Kohanim. They should bless the Jewish people, and I will bless those who bless the people. Or alternatively, it can mean the Kohanim should bless the Jewish people and I will bless the people. I will fulfill the bracha of the Kohanim. Says the Ibn Ezra, I believe it means both. God says, you Kohanim bless the people, and I'll bless everybody, the Israelim and the Kohanim together. Interesting. Samuel Shemi placed my name. The Ibn Ezra notes that every one of the brachas, Yivarech uh, Hashem, Yair Hashem, Yisah Hashem, God's name is in each one of the brachas. And in this last pasuk, he says, Torah is being very careful here to make it very clear that who's the one giving the bracha? God. We don't believe in human beings. Human beings are conduits of blessing. The Kohanim give the blessing through their hands. 
They make this special figure with their hands. By the way, the tradition we have today, people who put a talus over their head, they don't look. It's utterly unnecessary. The reason the Kohanim put the talus over their hands is so that we're not tempted to look. Also has to do with a mum, ba'mum. But the, we don't look. The Kohanim cover their hands when they give the bracha. Because the Gemara says that if you look at the hands of the Kohanim while they're giving the blessing, the blessing comes through their hands, you'll become blind. And that's why we don't look. But that's why the Kohanim have the practice of covering their hands. So it's perfectly okay for us to look. Some people actually go so far as to turn their back. And the, and the Gemara says that if you turn your back on the Kohanim, you don't receive the blessing. So it's a, in an effort to not see their hands, you're worried about becoming blind, you actually forfeit the bracha. You're supposed to look, you're supposed to stand facing the Kohanim, there's nothing wrong with looking at the Kohanim, because they're covering their hands with the talus while they, while they give the bracha. But we should never make the mistake of thinking they're the ones giving the bracha, they are simply the conduit through which God is giving us the bracha. I just want to end with an interesting question. Torah just says the Kohanim have to give a bracha. If I didn't know better, I'd say they should give this bracha every day. Why is the practice of Ashkenazim to only have birchas Kohanim and Chutzlaretz on the Sholosh Regalim? In Israel, in Israel, Ashkenazi or Svardi, you do birchas Kohanim every single day. Outside of Israel, you only do it on the Sholosh Regalim. Why is that? Why is that? So the Raman Shulchan Aruch Simen Kuf Chav Ches 128 gives us the reason. It's a very interesting context. It gives us the reason. It says, A coin who's single, a bachelor coin, is allowed to dochen. Why might I have thought he couldn't dochen? Says the Ramah, Says because the Gemara says that a person who's a bachelor who wants to be married is not married is lacking happiness that he's looking for. And a prerequisite to being able to give a bracha is being happy. If you're sad, if you're despondent, if you're negative, if you have a negative energy, you can't be a source of blessing. To be a source of blessing, you have to be surrounded with a positive, with a positive energy. So if you lack simcha, you can't give a bracha. So the Ramah says, there's some say that therefore the Kohen who's a bachelor shouldn't give the bracha. The Mechaber says he can't give the bracha. Says the Ramah, our is that the bachelor also gives the bracha. He feels enough simcha. He also has enough positive energy. But if there's a bachelor coming who doesn't want to give the bracha until he's married, we allow that. But he continues. The minag outside of Israel is only to do duchening, to give the bracha on yantav. Why? Says the Raman, incredible thing. Says outside of Israel, the Golas, how could you feel simcha? Every day you have work, every day you're living in exile, every day you have burdens, you don't feel simcha. There's a negative energy of just being in exile. The only time you can feel simcha, which is the prerequisite to a bracha, is on Yantif, when you have a samachta v'chagecha. Yantif, you have to feel simcha. So on Yantif, when you have to feel simcha, that's when you're in a position to give a bracha. But the rest of the year, being in Golis, but a Jew in Israel, it doesn't matter how many nuclear weapons are pointed your way, it doesn't matter how many challenges and efforts to delegitimize you, just being in Israel, oh, simcha. Enough simcha, enough positive energy to be able to give the bracha. So you see, the being in Israel is a source of simcha. The entire minag that we have, that every day we do not dochen in Chutzlaretz, except for Yantif, is because gufa, being in Chutzlaretz, means that we lack 
the Simcha. The Ramah says, you're worried about your livelihood, so on and so forth. But really, it's, you see the Minagas in Israel, not so. There is a Simcha in Israel, even though you have to earn a living there, just being in Israel gives enough joy that allows one to give the bracha. Have a fantastic day. Uh, this gives us something to think about. When you give the bracha to your children Friday night, giving a bracha, you should have parnasa, should succeed in learning, should help you find chain in the eyes of others, you should never feel conflicted, you should have a sense of shalom, of peace in your life, a whole new meaning to this bracha when we share it with others.